Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. And I'm your host, Adam Campbell, being joined by none other than the fantastic J.R. Tarina. How are you, man? I am well. How are you? <laughs> good, good. It is great to have you on the show. Uh, it is March 3rd, and we have got a fantastic show for you this week. That's right. The entire show, I'm going to be joined, co-hosted once again by J.R., backed by popular demand in The Devil's Advocate. We're going to bring in essay called Satanic Brotherhood. Infernal Informant, back in the spotlight, Romney criticizes Obama, a.k.a. Nero. And Space Alien Invasion, Science Channel's Are We Alone, considers E.T. confrontation with Earthlings. And in the Creature Feature segment, we're going to be talking to Warlock Tear Instinct about his new album, Volume 3, Rest in Peace. And that was actually released by Slaughterhouse Records, your, uh, your house, right? That's me! So, you know. <laughs> what a coincidence that you're on the show while well, we're going to be talking about that. It's magic. There is no coincidence. You have a lot of stuff going on with Slaughterhouse lately. I have a lot of stuff going on, period. Yeah, it's... Uh, I had planned really only to do like some old thrash metal releases from some bands in Salt Lake that I love from the 80s that were just broken up, and all of a sudden, Tear Instinct asked me to put out a CD because I got wrapped up in that lavatory thing that we talked about last time I was on. Yeah. And ever since then, it's like kind of snowballed. All these bands from Malaysia want me to put out their album because I'm an American who cares, I guess, and they happen to have a great scene over there. So it's just kind of gone like full throttle ahead so who am i to complain you know it's been fun so yes and what's the um what's the welcoming been like for for the new albums and the new bands pretty good um obviously tear instinct is selling largely to the satanic community and i don't know everybody personally like there are people who have their real names when they're sending their orders and I'm like, Oh, that was, what's his name from, I, I'm like, oh, man, I should have sent, I should have sent them a more personal letter. I didn't know who I was talking to and things like that, but it's been pretty well. And everybody's loving the tear instinct so far. And I'm hoping to get it out there to sell it to more than just the Satanist. And as far as the other bands, that's always going to crossbreed really well with Satanist, non-Satanist metalheads. And it's been an interesting lesson that, uh, music the music industry isn't quite so radically changed as we thought it is here in america more than anywhere else but that's really for the people who like modern music and just download rihanna and crap like that <laughs> in my life whatsoever so yeah well i mean that that's absolutely fantastic i'm really really excited for you that it's it's taking off so well and and who would have thought that a gentleman like yourself who opened his own brick and mortar store and then closed it up is now opening uh an electronic version of that same thing and just continuing moving on you know i swore that the metal scene was going to exact what it owed me after all these years <laughs> i'm taking my toll because it took its toll out of me when i had that shot <laughs> yeah. 
Nice. Well, I do have some projects coming out. I'm going to talk about briefly, if you don't mind, um, the comic book Cross. Now, I've told the audience that it's coming out soon, and it is, in fact, coming out soon. It's been released to the publisher, and they're sort of reviewing it. It's taken a lot longer than I anticipated, so I think there might be some content issues of why it's taking so long to be approved. But uh, whatever the case, as soon as I know, I will absolutely release it out to you guys and... Uh, yeah, it, I think that's going to be fantastic. What is that thing all about? I, I noticed that. I didn't really, I didn't know so, you had anything going with the comic. Yeah, well, I've got, I, I mean, like you, I I like to keep myself really, really, maybe a little too busy. <laughs> so I've got my fingers in a whole lot of different pies. Um, Cross is a comic that I started rewriting for a friend when I was in the military. And um, it's just taken a long time for us to sort of, collectively wrap our heads around the idea of actually releasing it as a comic and so you know he's inked it up together i've written uh the story and rewritten the story and uh we reached out to um some great artists to get the cover colored and now we finally have this collection together but i like the entire story itself essentially is about this uh rewriting of what it means to be the idea of what it means to be crucified so this nun was thrown on the cross, um, and it, it sort of rewrites the boundaries between what's good and evil when you have this innocent who's being forced to do these deplorable things through this sort of demonic alter ego by both God and Satan characters. And so, um, you know, it's sort of my way of, of, of really throwing out this entire idea of good and evil and just focusing on um, human motivations and the effects of, uh, you know, what, what if there was this, you know, big brother and, uh, above and below, and what if they really didn't give a damn about us at all and they just wanted to fuck with us? Well, this is sort of what would happen. Um, and so, you know, there's some religious iconography and, uh, steeped in, like, uh, uh, Judeo Christian mythos. But it's not heavy into it. It's it's really just sort of supposed to be sexy and gory and fun. So is it first person at all? Like they're being introspective while they're crucified or something? Or? Well, it actually, in this first release, there's not going to be any reference to that. That's just sort of the backstory. And then, so when you're introduced to the characters, <clears throat> like when this comic is first opened, it's literally just this nun um, giving advice to a student in this school and she gives some horrible advice and um, that really flies into the face of what a nun would normally give and then she sort of passes out and that's when you realize as a, a reader that immediately something's not right with this woman you know she sort of wakes up and doesn't realize what she said she's afraid of what she might have said um, and then you're immediately sort of thrown into this world where you're going through it sort of as a viewer with the heroine um, who is uh, complete unaware of being a complete monster and doing these horrible, horrible things. And so it's going to be about her discovery of, you know, how, why she does it, how she started doing it. Um, and that opens up to this whole, you know, larger worldview of, of the story I've written. Sounds like an average day on Facebook for me. <laughs> I do it all the time. Where do you think I get my inspiration? <laughs> I'll post something, I'll either go to bed or go to work and think, that made me look like a real asshole, and I'll be like, worried about it all day, and I'll come home and no one will even notice it. Like, oh, okay, well, be more of an asshole now. <laughs> I'm not going to push the limits. Sounds like a cool idea. Is it 
did you say it was already out? No, well, it's released to the publisher, so soon, soon. You know, it's 99 cents, there's going to be four episodes, and then after, I don't know, a year or something, I'll combine it into one special compilation with, you know, artwork that I've done, and then all the artists have done that have contributed, and it'll be sort of, you know, this collector's edition version, and then we'll re-release it much more gory, much more story-focused, and just much more adult, because this is very much a comic you know, so it's it's sort of towing that line between adult and children uh, look and feel. So, you know, st- stuff coming up on the horizon. Um, also coming up on the horizon, uh, another video. So I, I reached out doing this Wart Nation thing, this sort of homebrew blog that I started. And there's some gentlemen in the valley, the Salt Lake Valley for those outside, who uh, were really excited to be a part of it. And so yesterday I went and recorded some intro videos to an all-grain batch brewing session, which doesn't use any malt extract. It's just pure grains, and it's sort of the 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 pure way of the purest way that we can of making beer um, from start to finish, all with your own fresh ingredients. And so. Uh, look for that in the coming weeks. I've got to put that together with uh, a bunch of other videos and, and sort of package it. So more is coming out on the Wart Nation blog. And thank you very much for those who are paying attention. And um, you know what? I've gotten a lot of words from people saying that I've inspired them to start brewing. And so I think that's fantastic. And if you have started brewing, please let me see videos. Let me see recipes. Let me hear your experiences. And I'll put them up on the blog. And, and you know, we can sort of have this great back and forth conversation about brewing. It'll be fun. So, um, GR, are you ready to dive in? I am ready to dive into some beer, but I don't have any. <laughs> but we'll deal with that later. Let's go. All right. You are your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. And has nothing to do with the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. And you are the devil's advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm an active member in the Church of Satan. But I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. All right, I'm going to read to you, everybody, something from the Theory and Practice section of the Church of Satan website, which is churchofsatan.com, of course, in case you didn't know. (laughs) It is called Satanic Brotherhood by Magister Michael Rose. Having published a satanic magazine, I have received a lot of letters over the years from others professing to be Satanist. In reading these letters, I have noticed something which seems to crop up far far too many times, something which should not crop up at all. This thing of which I speak is a sense that Satanists should display an all-consuming friendliness and brotherhood towards one another. Many of those who have written to me have addressed me as Brother Rose. If you are not one of the children of my parents, then don't call me your brother. Let's leave such nonsensical notions of brotherhood to the Christians. They have no place in Satanism. I love this article. Uh, So Magister Michael Rose actually continues um, throughout the rest of this essay explaining the difference between the idea of brotherhood in an organization like Christianity and its 
complete disconnect with an organization like the Church of Satan or a religion like Satanism. And, and that's essentially that we don't think of, I mean, Anton LaVey and Magus Peter H. Gilmore are both completely against this idea of community for good reason. You know, people and sheep huddle in communities and they sort of push out everything outside that. And so this idea of coming up into Satanism and declaring that we are all Satanists, therefore we must all band together and we are brothers in arms against the Christians is very anti-Satanic thought. We celebrate individuality and assumptions that because you're a Satanist, somehow you're going to like me or I'm going to like you is absurd. Now, JR, you and I being in Utah with the, the few Satanists that we've uh, been exposed to are very lucky, I think, because we actually do get along. But that's very rare. I mean, have you ever encountered Satanists online or, or in your life where you just don't want anything to do with them? I think probably more people have had that about me than I have about them, but uh, there are a few where you just think, God, shut up. You know? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This is dangerous territory to tread upon because we have a Facebook group, which kind of goes against what we're talking about, but that's a cool group because we all kind of like talk to each other, pat each other on the back. or like, here's my project. Don't you think it's cool? Or, hey, buy one of these. And we do it, but I'm kind of guessing that's not really what he's getting at. He's probably talking more about just possibly well, seeing someone on the street and like you see the the bathroom and oh hey brother what's up like, yeah. yeah exactly well and it is that idea that i mean because there are social networking sites where where it's possible that you can reach out and be exposed to other satanists online that doesn't mean that you have to love them or respect them or anything like that either i mean you know what one of the things that i really love about satanism is that it's a or, or i'm sorry the organization the church of satan is that it's a mutual admiration society meaning that if i have a project that i want to share with people you know social networking sites are one way of doing it letter boards are another way of doing it or just you know reaching uh, across the the valley here is another way of reaching out to other satanists and you know they may show interests or support but that does not equate a feeling of brotherhood with the person and and that certainly doesn't mean that because we're satanists talking to each other online and, and and supporting each other that that we're expected to or that we have to and and i think that's really at the core of this essay that uh, master michael rose wrote um i know i've met and it's weird because you you sort of run into these first phase satanists that expect um this sense of brotherhood and community and um there is always this really thick layer of pretentiousness that I usually am experiencing at the same time with them. Um, you know, they, they make up these really grandiose names as aliases and, and they sort of demand this weird respect or they give you this really sort of weird respect, even though they don't know anything about you other than, you know, you're a Satanist or you've done something or so it, it's for me, you know, I, I look at Satanism and I think, you know, as everyone has always said, it, you know, it's a very large tent with a variety of people with a variety of opinions underneath it. And though we are underneath the tent, it does not mean that we like each other or we're expected to like each other or we're expected to support each other. Um, and even Magister Rose in this essay says that um, you're not expected to not only uh, not support them, but there's this idea that you're not supposed to, you know, speak against them. Uh, because they're Satanists, like there's some sort of unspoken bond. And decorum 
in circumstance dictates uh, not acting the fool and speaking out against people. But if you have a genuine complaint um, and, and someone asks you if, if, if you know, you've had personal experience uh, that's a negative, that doesn't mean you're, you're not capable of, of speaking truth to a situation uh, because they are Satanists. So it's, it's weird that there's this sort of, and I've seen this in some uh, message boards as well uh, that, you know, don't talk about a reverend like that because they're a satanic reverend. And look, you know, show show some respect for a human being if they act deeming respect. But otherwise, just because you have a title or just because you've done something um, that some people see as w of worth, it doesn't mean that you have to go out of your way and bow your head. That's not satanic at all. And for me, that's what I got out of this article. And um, that's why I wanted to bring it out to everyone else. So... Obviously, perception and reading is going to be one thing, but you guys should get out there, go to the Church of Satan website under Theory and Practice, read the article yourself, and, and you know, you don't have to agree with Magister Michael Rose here, but you must read it and understand what he's trying to say before you don't. Um, and so, yeah, I guess that's really all I had about that. Uh, anything you wanted to add to there? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it seems like... Uh... For example, one thing I noticed like on our little Facebook group is there'll be people who will be like, this guy tried to add me. And it's like some kid, you know, like, like almost like on Satan that one of those kids where it's like, they're trying really hard to impress the Satanist people that are real Satanists that they know. Mm -hmm. And all of these people will suddenly start talking about it and talking about it. And I really, the real me would come in there and go, come on, you guys chill out, quit being pussies and yada, yada. And just like, who cares? But you don't want to say anything because you don't want to offend these people because they're all your friends and they're your, they're your fellows, fellow Satanists and all of this. But uh, you get worried about getting a bad reputation and things like that because you said something that pissed off somebody. I, it's just kind of like a, I, I don't know. You know what I mean? It kind of comes along with the territory, so to speak. You don't want to like rub anybody the wrong way because you think we're all of the same, cut from the same cloth, so to speak, as Satanists. Yeah, and... And I would, you I would say that, them, that but you feel like, you know, come on, so what? So someone wants to add you on Facebook is at the end of the world, you know, so what? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's nothing, in my opinion, there's nothing wrong with, with thinking that. Um, and I think that, you know, I mean, there's this, no matter what in life, because, um, we are, uh, dominant and because we think highly of ourselves, you know, it, it's possible to fall into, pretentious behavior and so you see that from time to time um not over overly but you know it happens and you know th there is this sort of alarmism where how dare this person even consider uh me being their friend when i know that you know i mean there, there's a little bit of pretentiousness just in that idea um and you know how would you know if they're of worth unless you give them a chance but then you don't have to give people a chance if you don't want to and you know it it's, it's sort of, you know, falls in line. Don't give your opinion unless asked. And, you know, you really don't have to worry about it if, if it, you know, comes down to that. Because if someone asks your opinion, then they truly value your opinion and they want to hear it. So that's, that's kind of how I land. So I try not to, um, chime in no matter what social network I'm in, unless one, I'm asked, or two, I have something genuine to say, um, that, that's not going to rub someone the wrong way because I spoke out of line or was perceived as speaking out of line. You know what I mean? 
I think that's one of the good things too about uh, Satanism is it actually teaches you that. And if anyone needs to learn that, it's me. Is when to shut up, especially when it's on <laughs> Facebook, because I'll just say whatever, and I figure, ah, it's Facebook. It's an off-the-cuff comment, and then you look back and go, that was stupid. <laughs> and everybody's already seen it, so you're like, well, I can't delete it because now I'll look really stupid, you know? And yeah, But I do that a lot, and then being around people like that, it's not necessarily because I'm afraid of them or I'm going to get, like, ejected or, or anything like that, but it's yeah. just, you think, well, you know, would they appreciate that? And then you, I've learned to, like, really curtail a lot of stupid things that I would have said in the past. Well, I, again, I think everyone should check out the article and, you know read it with your own mind and, and see what you take from it. But I thought it was a fantastic essay. Um, let's go ahead and move on to the Infernal Informant. Psst. Hey, 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 come here. Psst. What? Huh? Me? Do I know you? Hey, you're a religious man, aren't you? No more than anyone else. Listen, listen, I got a secret. It's, it's been eating me up and I got to share it with someone. Get the fuck out of here, kid. I don't know you. No, listen, man. It's about you. It's about your life. You're about to have what, what alcoholics refer to as your moment of clarity. What are you talking about? Are you okay, son? Sins are indisposable to every society organized on an ecclesiastical basis. They are only reliable weapons of power. The priest lives upon sins. It's, it's necessary to him that there be sinning. Who the fuck are you, kid? I'm your infernal informant. This is from the LA Times, and back in the spotlight, Romney criticizes Obama, a.k.a. Nero. Yeah, who didn't see that coming? By Mav Mave Reston, and this was actually posted the third. For Mitt Romney, there will be no next chapter in politics. At least no third run for the presidency. But in his first post-campaign interview, the former Massachusetts governor did not shy away from Sunday from his criticisms of President Obama, and said he hoped to help the Republican Party regain its footing from a distance. I recognize that as the guy who lost the election, I'm not in a position to tell everyone else how to win. <laughs> Durr, Romney told Fox News Sunday. Oh, Fox Post. News, this is getting better and better. <laughs> yeah, Chris Wallace. <laughs> They're not going to listen, and I don't have the credibility to do that anyway. But I still care, and I still believe that there are principles that we need to stand for. Criticizing the stalemate of the sequester, $85 billion in automatic spending cuts that are slated to go into effect because Democrats and Republicans could not reach an agreement. The former GOP nominee accused the president of campaigning by flying around the country berating Republicans instead of pulling aside the Democrats and few Republicans to cut a deal. It's funny because he was doing that so that he could reach out to the people and get them to act like, I don't know, concerned citizens might act. <laughs> and it's called campaigning. It's really absurd yeah. to me. I, I don't really understand that disconnect. I don't, I don't want to get too far off topic, but whenever I hear anything these days from a Republican or Fox News or when I see it on mute when I'm at the gym or at work or something, which is not my choice, but it's just there in front of your face. Yeah. The first thought that comes to my mind is Bizarro. Remember Bizarro Superman? Everything is backwards in his his. <laughs> yeah. This is what we're at right now with these people. I don't understand it. Like Fox News? Yeah. It's like anything that's good is bad. Anything that's bad is good. And they're like, this guy, and here we are. I'm getting on a tangent. But I don't think Obama's horrible. I think he's trying. But these guys are just beating the shit out of him time and time again. It's like, what's he doing that is so wrong? He's talking to the people. That's mm -hmm. what he's supposed to do. Yeah. And what's amazing is that if he were to pull aside individual representatives and 
push them on this saying you should do this because it's good for the country then he would be seen as bullying the representative but when he goes out and talks to the people to do it the right way he's seen as campaigning there is literally no way this president can win like absolutely no possible way he will be shit on no matter what and i have to uh, sort of you know take this the position that i do not agree with i would say 80 percent of what obama has done because it's not in in it's tough because i haven't been in his position i don't know what he knows and so you know there may be some issues that i don't see but from where i'm standing you know it's frustrating because i think he should be more progressive than he actually is i think he should be pushing much harder than he actually is and he's he's really going out of his way to compromise which as far as a society goes is a good thing but in my opinion as far as a strong leader is is not a great thing but then you can just make the argument that that's why we're in this problem because every single representative is seeing themselves as a strong leader and no one wants to compromise and that's why the sequester happened that's why we're having 85 billion dollars in automatic spending cuts and though i don't believe the doom and gloom prophecies of either side because of the sequester having gone through, because of the lack of cooperation or, or even basic understanding of how to run government between Democrats and Republicans, um, you, you can't help but blame someone. And because there is one figurehead that represents government, Obama, it is easy to point that finger at him. But it's certainly not fair if that, you know, given the the variety that that word can mean and it's certainly not responsible when you should be holding your representatives accountable and just don't elect them again and what's funny in my opinion i mean i'm only like halfway done with this article so i'll try to hurry here but what's funny to me is that this is the final nail in the republican coffin they have been going the way of the dodo since they tied themselves to the religious right um i would say romney was proof positive that there is no way that the status quo Republican can win again. Um, it is impossible. And so they will have to either completely alter their platform. And what's tough is that I actually agree with some of the ideals of fiscal conservatism that the Republican Party stands for. But I absolutely reject their social ideas. I absolutely reject their connection to the religious right because the religious right is absolute wrong. It's just absurdity. So if if they ever want to be in office again, and if they ever want to have this sort of unified um, party again, then they're going to have to completely redefine themselves. And, and, and they're just not doing it. And certainly by listening to someone like a failed... Uh, nominee Romney I mean there's no way they're gonna be able to move at all um, well l let me finish this really quick and then we can uh, talk about it a little bit more if you'd like um, it kills me not to be there not to be in the White House doing what needs to be done Romney told Wallace the president is the leader of the nation the president brings people together does the deals does the trades knocks the heads together the president leads and I don't see that kind of leadership happening right now. Romney said the nation was in the midst of a golden moment to fix its fiscal problems, but was watching it slip away with politics. Obama, he charged, has been more interested in winning a political victory than resolving the issue. This is America we're talking about at a critical time, he said. You know, Nero is fiddling. Since his loss in November, Romney has largely faded from public view, retreating to his oceanfront home in La Jolla, 
and enjoying outings with his grandchildren at the beach, Disneyland and local parks. Sources close to the former governor say he's still weighing his next steps, but has turned his energy toward the charitable foundations that his he's founded with his wife Anne. They've renamed it the Romney Foundation for Children to focus on the plight of poor children around the world. When on the East Coast, Romney has been working out of the Boston office at Solomere, the venture capital firm founded by his son Tag, and his former campaign finance director, Spencer Swick. He's told friends that he intends to help out Solomere, as well as the businesses of his three older other sons who work in real estate development. Reflecting on the 2012 campaign, Romney told Wallace, that he and his team had not done an effective job reaching out to minority voters, which he calls a real mistake. He did not apologize for his assertion to donors last fall that Obama had won the election by giving gifts to key groups, including African Americans, Latinos, and young people. See, it's like comments like that. The sole reason why he lost, and he's just double downing. He's I like, see that behavior with with Obama, really, but then I don't watch politics like at all, really, but alone exclusively. But I just don't see it. It sounds like they're talking about themselves, really. Well, yeah, and it's it's this sort of idea that we don't mind the social support from the government for us big businessmen, but if you're going to give it to the uh, middle and lower middle classes, hell no, that is a handout. Um. <laughs> What about the subsidize, subsidies for oil companies? The one business that is booming and has been booming for a very long time and we're still subsidizing them. What about the ridiculous tax, tax breaks that no one thinks that they should keep but no one can get rid of? But those aren't handouts. Those aren't gifts. And the irony of it all is that Obama's backing those as well. I mean, he hasn't gone out of his way to stop it. So it's not like Obama's on the other side of the fence. He's on the same side Romney's on on those issues. But it's the gifts to those who, who aren't in power and influential in politics that everyone seems to have a problem with. <laughs> it's just this absurd, absurd notion. Like I said, bizarro Superman universe. <laughs> yeah. The president had the power of in incumbency. Obamacare was very attractive, particularly to those without health insurance, and they came out in large numbers to vote, Romney told Wallace when asked about the gifts comment. When Wallace noted that the former Massachusetts governor had been roasted by members of his own party on the remarks and asked if that hurt, Romney said he wasn't going to second guess what other people have to say. I don't look back. I look forward, he said, putting an end to a swirl of speculation earlier this year. Ann Romney said she never formally approached by the Republican Party about running for the Massachusetts U.S. Senate seat vacated by Secretary of State John Kerry. Not a chance, she told Wallace when asked if she'd consider running. I'm enjoying life. She did confirm, however, that she considered taking a spot on Dancing with the Stars. And I'm not going to read the rest of that. That's bullshit. I don't want to talk about Dancing with the Stars. So what do you think, man? Does, does Romney have any insight on how to bring the Republican Party back to power? Well, once again, we live in Salt Lake City. He's a Mormon. There are Mormons here. We know how they are. So the answer to that is hell no. <laughs> They're all about the money, and when it comes to that, they know what they're doing because they're Mormons, Inc., not Mormons, Faith. And uh, mm -hmm. that, that really answers it right there, really. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think, it, it, reading this, it doesn't seem like Obama's like, I don't think he's a super good guy, but I don't think he has any ulterior motives, but there are political things that you probably have to go along with just because, because it's the greater bad might be good for us in the long run or some BS like that, but... Uh, 
with all these gifts things and stuff he's not going to tackle all this like oil like all this stuff right now because we're worried about the economy and all the, these other things going on and then he's going to tackle this and have all this stuff going on at once I think yeah, it's, it's battles it is crazy that that with everything that obama's done and he had a more productive first term than any president um in since reagan maybe even before um that he's still being labeled with having done nothing like just being the, the the negative person i mean i agree that in my opinion he hasn't gone far enough but i cannot argue that he hasn't done so much he has he's gone out of his way and and he will honestly in my opinion and like i said i don't agree with a lot of the things he stands for but he's going to be whether you like it or not in history, the next Lincoln. I mean, he will be seen as the man who reached out across the aisle to his own detriment, ruined his political history, his, his entire political life, trying to do some, some, in my opinion, not really crazy things, um, but being burned for it. Uh, he's actually probably also going to be cursed by his drone program, which is... And for sort of doubling down on the Patriot Act, um, really spying on Americans' um, programs that that he has he has been backing. That's going to be the thing comes up a lot. Like that, that's it's almost like reminds me of the Bush administration when they went to Iraq. They found nothing, but we were really only there for oil. And of course, suddenly they were like, um, uh, "Faggots! Faggots can't get married." We can't yeah. have Mexicans in our kitchens. Mexicans, illegals, and then everybody like the Pavlovian dogs they are just followed the suit and like started barking in those directions without really paying attention to the real article. It's, yeah, and I think he's yeah he's making unpopular decisions and like there's things like the gunning of the school kids back east, and of course what can you do? And you're not going to change gun control and all this stuff or make them illegal, but he had to do something to show that he did something as the president. So he tried to ban guns, of course, to make the people happy, but we knew it wouldn't work. But that was his gesture. So it's almost like he's in this position where he can't win no matter what he does, but he has to do this gesture or that. And he's a puppet, just like George Bush was a puppet and did all these horrible things. But it was really his administration that did all that stuff, not really him. He didn't know what the hell he was doing. See, and I would think, I mean, I would make the argument that, that Obama has much more influence over his administration than Bush ever did. Bush well, that's what I mean, but maybe to a point, Bush was just like, totally like a marionette, like 100%. Like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, 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 and certainly in the in his, his first couple of years he was, and I don't know if, if it's true or not, but I, you know, through through news and retrospect from his administration, he he started trying to take control again um, after everything went so horribly bad, but he just could never wrestle it away. I mean, you have he had very powerful, influential people in his cabinet, and you know, for a, a shit kicker from Texas, you just don't have the authority that these people do in big business um, and, and and in oil. So there's nothing really that he could have done. Um, he just wasn't strong enough as an individual. I think Obama is strong enough, but he's watchful. He doesn't want to, he, he knows that he's already stretching boundaries of legality in a lot of areas, and he doesn't want to um, really go any further than he has. And so he's trying to get the our representatives to do their jobs. And that's something that presidents haven't done in a very long time, which is really absurd when you think about it, but it's frustrating if you're the population having to suffer through a government that is failed 
because we're expecting our representatives to act like adults and they are not. But how, how about we do an, a fun article? The next one. You want to hit this one? From the Huffington Post in the weird news section. Yours truly is going to read this one because I feel <laughs> weird like the news. Space alien invasion. Science channels. Are we alone? Considers ET confrontation with earthlings. And first, I've got to say, I hate the term E.T. because it reminds me of that little guy from the E.T. movie, which I thought was kind of dorky looking. You know, I like the X-Files things better myself. But Oh, yeah. Anyway, um, an alien invasion is headed our way. While it's the stuff of sci-fi books, movies, TV series, and high-tech video games, what if Earth suddenly faced a real threat from out-of-this-world invaders? How will the human race survive an encounter with an unknown civilization from another world? Even President Ronald Reagan speaking of the, at the United Nations in 1988, suggested that the countries of Earth would unite over an impending confrontation with an invading species from outer space. What a laugh that is. <laughs> Funny what he was talking about all this stuff with unity through Republicans and Democrats. Anyway, the Science Channel is about to unleash a month-long series of special programs all aimed at trying to answer the provocative question that mankind has always wondered about. Are we alone? Beginning March 5th, four world premiere episodes will feature scientists hunting for alien life, including how humans may respond to a scenario of ETs coming to Earth. One idea is that these aliens have left their home world and they're, look they're out looking around, according to Hakim Olusei, professor of physics and space sciences in Flor at Florida Institute of Technology. I love how they have to use the last names and make you say them over. <laughs> well, you say he is featured in the Science Channel's first two episodes of Are We Alone, in which an alien invasion and its aftermath are depicted. He told the Huffington Post that an alien civilization that has embarked on a very long journey from their world to ours may do it for one of two reasons. One reason is that they had to leave their home world. The recent Russia meteorite taught us that in order for a species to continue indefinitely into the future, it must develop the ability to leave its home planet. Planets and stars are temporary physical entities, and there's a small window of time for any individual planetary surface to harbor life. All you say suggests the other reasons why ETs may come here is because they are just like us. What I mean by that is that they are intelligent. They want to find other life and civilizations, and that would be worth the cost. Very Star Trek-ish of them. Yeah. I think something like that would be very well a very well-planned event. And then we finish up here. If contact with an alien species is not that far off, be they invaders or not, how does Olusei think Earthlings will be affected? The only thing I can compare it with is an event like 9-11, where suddenly everything stopped and nothing was ever going to be the same again. At that point, you go through a lot of feelings. On the other hand, you have a sense of fear of the unknown, where you know tomorrow is different, but it all depends on how those moments unfold. The Outer Space Visitors will land on the Science Channel March 5th in Alien Encounters the Invasion. The following week will offer Alien Encounters the Offspring. Oh, you so, yeah. That sounds like an alien name right there. Yeah. <laughs> They're already here. Okay, so what do you think, man? Uh, aliens, I mean, what do you think that would uh, cause our cultures to unite as a one-world power? This is something I've always read books about, and I have my own theories, and it really, really pisses people off. It just You would be surprised how it just pisses people off, almost like saying you're atheist or something to a Christian. Um, for me, I, I have read Von Däniken books for years, like long before Eric Von Däniken, that is, the guy who wrote Chariots of the Gods, who postulated mm -hmm. the aliens built the pyramids. 
Right. That was in the late 60s. And now he's really popular because of that show Ancient Aliens on the History Channel. So people, of course, now just see the guy with the bad tan and like the goofy hair and they make fun of it and think only people like that, they're the crackpots, believe in aliens. And like, and I'm always hearkening back to a conversation I had with a friend of mine who became Christian, mainly to marry a girl that he loved. He, he argued with me one day about creation. And uh, obviously, we didn't see the same point. But I'm like, so you, you're telling me this vast, vast, vast universe that we live in. Our galaxy is massive, and that's one of billions of galaxies. And all of that, you're telling me only humans live? And he's like, that's God's plan. This is testing ground for us. And this is what I think we're dealing with. But I totally believe they're out there. There's other great there's other forms of life. I mean, it doesn't have to look like us, like on Star Trek, where they have a wrinkled forehead, and that's it. I mean, chances of that are probably nil. But um, I don't think, like, everything that happened on Earth was done by aliens. But I mean, it's obvious they may have been here at one point, because you had things like the lines of Nazca, Peru, and things like that that depict astronauts and they were existing long before most uh, humans were around or proto humans or early humans anyway. But, and you can only see them from the air. So who was up in the air back in BC times? Okay. So <laughs> I can go on and on and on, but yeah, I think they're out there. I don't know if they're going to kill us. I don't think so. Interesting thing. I'd like to see the show, but then again, it seems like it's a little bit of hype too, but uh, to equate it to nine 11, I don't, I don't know about that. But. Well, I think there's think? meaning in the, the impact of what it would mean to definitively know for certain by vision, by seeing and by experiencing it. That would be like, you know, as, as catastrophic to our sort of American culture and really world culture as the idea of Americans actually being attacked on their own soil, you know, which was never thought to have been possible. So I do absolutely think that there is life, even in our solar system. I absolutely think that there's um, bacterial life on uh, moons uh, in our solar system. But I, you know, obviously we just haven't found it as of yet. And so it's just, you know, my speculation and I would be stunned. It, it, it makes no logical sense that there is not intelligent life already maybe having already existed and died out in our universe and certainly the idea that there is another intelligent life right in our time window um, out there I, I think is an absolute positivity whether or not the distances between us means we'll ever meet or not is another thing but i do think it exists um, it's absurd not to well, but, do you think they would ever want to come here i mean just look at well, our and, and that's the thing because we are searching out so if if they are beings like us, meaning curious and adventure-oriented, then, yeah, they would absolutely look for ways to come to us. And I, I love the idea that um, maybe they're already here, but because of dimensionality, because of our limited sense frame of experience, we just can't experience them. I love that. Um I really like the idea that they've already visited us and influenced some of our prehistory or maybe even started our civilization on this particular rock. I, I have fun with that in my mind. I don't know how real it is. And so I don't, I don't really take it too far, but I do like the idea of it. I think it's fun. Um, and I, one thing I like is that I never take stuff like this too seriously because none of it's proven. And so it's just sort of entertaining at this point. Um, and so I, I really don't discount theories or ideas because there's no proof either way. And it's just, you know, what would a, a logical mind think would be a logical hypothesis? And that's kind of where I take it. But what if, what if 
there was no religious second coming, but what if there wasn't an alien visitation that everyone could experience, so there's no doubting that it's real. Do you think that that would have any impact on your worldview, on your religious or philosophical view? I think, uh, like you and I personally, like we as Satanists, it might uh, not be as big of a surprise because we're kind of a little more open-minded about these things and we know these things that there's not some mystical being guiding our every move but for other people um like say the extreme south bible belt that might be a problem down there for them like they're coming to kill us they're going to take our saving bonds or whatever and uh versus say maybe people from california be like oh okay we should talk to them or or who knows or like then you have the whole republican democrat thing like they're we're gonna not talk to them we're gonna strike and strike hard and you have the democrat side going well we need to talk to them first and that that's what i see happening and if i were an alien i would not want to come here for that i'd be like fuck that place not going near it and yeah that's what they're doing they built the pyramids and so let's get out of here now they're watching us going no not yet Nicki minaj no i don't think so <laughs> that's... Uh-uh. mormons i don't think so. <laughs> They think they're one of us. Laugh. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I saw this article and I couldn't pass it up. I know it's just a promotion for a show that's coming out, but the sort of the, the ideas behind it, I thought you and I would be able to have a lot of fun with, and uh, the audience out there, if you're space nuts, you would absolutely love to. This is one of my most fervently like watch topics. I read books on this all the time, and it's funny that we are talking about this because there's a book called Dark Mission, by Richard Hoagland, who's a former NASA scientist, and he was exiled from NASA. And that's a whole other story. But uh, more or less, it kind of has a conspiracy theory in it. That that's why Kennedy was assassinated, because they were going to go back to the moon after they already went. But they found these structures there. They found pyramids and canals on Mars that had glass tubes in it and all this stuff. And Von Daniken writes these kinds of books, too, but he doesn't say this is what it is. And that's why people get pissed off. It's like, even if he says that, so what? Why are you so threatened? It's because it refutes the idea of their little cozy universe of God and all of that, I think. But they went as far as to suggest that that's what would happen. There would be some kind of like crazy political anarchy and uprising in society if they figured out that there were other beings because it would uh, pretty much annihilate the uh, idea of God or something. It, it's been a while since I've read it, but I mean, that's what I got out of it. Yeah. And that's well, kind of what I think would happen politically. It would be a, a mayhem feast. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people um, gave up this absurd obsession or even connection, no matter how vague it is, with this Islamic Judeo-Christian worldview. But I do think that the, the ultra-religious would just double down on it. And they would say, you know, these are demons, they're from hell, or they're Satan's spawn, and they would just double down on their absurdity, you know, and, and that would cause this sort of fracture. But who knows, maybe that would cause their own demise, and that would be good for us as a species. So. <laughs> That's where the conspiracy theory came in, is that the uh, people in power would lose control over the people through fear, through religion. And if they figured this out, then it kind of gave people these ideas, or that maybe just Jesus was just some alien guy that landed here looking for a spot to sit up camp for a night. And then all of a sudden, here's everybody worshiping him hundreds of years later. It's kind of a Star Trek thing. There's like one Star Trek episode that deals with this like very, very perfectly. It was like a Next Generation episode. And you just see it and think how absurd it is that people live their lives based on what was basically like a cosmic hobo that crashed on a planet, you know, or something. But... <laughs> oh, yeah. 
I could go on and on, but yeah, we're we're ready for tier instinct, I think, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, we should jump right into that interview. Uh, I'm going to do a short break uh, with some uh, commercials, and then on the other end of that, we will talk with Tier Instinct. Red Skrull, this is Bald Eagle calling. Are you there, over? Uh, Red Skrull here, old boy. Uh, how are you doing? I'm okay. I just drank a whole liter of water. Ah, are you on a bit of a health here, boy? Well, yes, I've been chain-smoking all day. <laughs> I'm now up to about 70. Because oh. it's good for you, don't you know? Well, old boy, I'm, I'm going to head back to base in a bit after shooting these jerry bleeders and, and uh, listen to the wireless. Uh, any suggestions? Ah, uh, well, you could try Radio 1. I mean, no, no, um, you could try uh, Deep Six Radio. Oh, where can you hear that? I don't know. I've heard it spiffing, though. Ah, it's, I do believe it's on the RadioFreeSatan.com. Radio Free Satan? Radio Free Satan? You say? I do say. Deep Six, you say? Yes, that's right, sir. Ah, spiffing. Let's go kill some jerrys. Ah, let's shoot these buggers down for blighty. Chin Chin. The 1980s, a decade of greed, a decade of power, of lust, looks, and excess. The end of flower power ideals, the decade of me, me, me. All the more reason to revisit the 1980s. Relive those indulgent times on the Metro. The Metro. The Metro. The Metro. The Metro. Tune in to the Metro, Radio Free Satan's very own celebration of the 1980s through music. Every week, a unique hour of new wave, post-punk, and other retro music from the decade of decadence. With your host, DJ J. Nothing. The Metro. The Metro. The Metro. The Metro. Only on RadioFreeSatan.com. What's this show called? What do you mean, what is it called? You know, what's the name of the show? What, like the title? What's the title of the show? Is that what you're asking me? Yeah, what's the big deal? What's the title of the show? Look, it should be good enough for you and for any of you other generation Y's or X's or W's or Z's or or whatever fancy letter you're sitting on today to, to realize that it's not about what the title is. It's not about... When I was your kid, there's only one thing that we had growing up. When we wanted to watch a show, we just turned on the telly on Saturday mornings, and you know what we got? Do you know? Do you have any idea what we got? No, I have no idea. Why are you freaking out? Every single Saturday. And we didn't know what shows were, what, what titles were, or, or what, we had no choices on what to watch. We were stuck with the creature feature, and so are you. Alright, I'm being joined by J.R. Tarina. <laughs> Still, I guess? I mean, you've been co-hosting the entire show. I don't know why I introduced you like that. <laughs> but we're going to be talking... <laughs> What's that? I am here, Adam. <laughs> we're going to be talking about uh, Tear Instinct's new album, Volume 3, Rest in Peace. And we actually have a track, and we're expecting Tear Instinct to call in here uh, anytime now. But until he gets with us... Let's talk a little bit about your experience with this album. Now, I know you've been running Slaughterhouse Records for a little while, and you have been offering some uh, really great music, uh, and and you're sort of doing this, you know, independently on your own, your own promotions, and you're being really successful, which is, I think, just fantastic in this day of piracy uh, through music. 
what uh what what was it what connected you two together what brought you two together for this release well uh we've been talking for a while on back on the satan net page and right around the time i brought that back of course well, i brought the label back because i had started it back in the 90s and kind of let it go because i figured metal was gone and all that but uh we talked on a previous show about something I did from Malaysia, a band from there. But anyway, he noticed that I was posting it on Satan and then he decided that maybe I should be the guy to put it out. And the person that he dealt with previously, I guess, was nowhere to be found. So he asked me if I would do it. And I thought, well, yeah, of course, you know, I'd be a fool to pass it up. It's a great project. Um, everybody knows him and it would be a good exposure for me too, as a label. Yeah and uh it that's totally how it happened except the only thing it didn't really happen as planned but it never does with these kinds of things because there's always delays or changes and it, it was everything from like ridiculous snowstorms here this winter and not being able to get to the plant to just they screwed up on the covers or they took too long and and he was so patient and i was so worried that he was gonna be like where's my cd <laughs> and he wasn't like that at all i, I was scared to death because it took a lot longer than i had planned i wanted to have it out by december but then it was january and it finally just came out now like the end of february so wow but it was he was really patient through the whole thing and that was great and the music on it um out of the three albums this one is it, they kind of go the first one is a spoken word thing which if you buy one of the first hundred copies of the disc of this album that i released you can get a bonus disc which is his first album that i put out this time around oh yeah but the first one is pretty much all spoken word and there's a lot of ritualistic material in there which he can tell you about and the second one is a lot more industrial and it's a really great album i love that one the chaos magnet yeah and the first album is called In Through This Devour. And here we have Volume 3, Rest in Peace, which the project speaks for itself by the title. He's putting it to rest because it's one chapter in his life that is closed, which, again, the Warlock can tell you about better than I can. But I think musically it's more ambient with uh, a lot of spoken word regarding just life in general, like relationship, betrayal, that kind of thing. And that's hence why the project is being laid to rest. It's one phase that's over with. Nice. Uh, how were you first exposed to, or, or how, how did you first come across to your instinct as an artist? Well, same thing. It was back on Satan. Uh, actually, it was there, and he advertised his first album, In Through This Devour, and it was when the second album was about to come out, The Chaos Magnet. So I went and got the first one, and this is around the time he was, a lot of people were producing books and CDs on Lulu.com, in particular Satanist. Yeah. So I got that album, I bought it, and uh, I got it in the mail, and I listened to it. And at first, I was like, oh, this is not what I thought it was at all, because it was all spoken word. And at that time, I wasn't quite so uh, adept at ritual and such as I am now. Not that I'm a pure adept or anything, but just I'm, I know more now than I did then. And back then, it was kind of lost on me, and I was like, huh. <laughs> But looking back on, I'm like, aha, you know, it's, it's, it's just like reading any satanic literature. It's like every time you read it, you pick up something new. Oh, yeah. And you hear his album, you pick up a little nugget like, aha, that's what that means. Or, oh, this suddenly makes sense. And so I think it's like that. And this particular album, um, it's kind of like de he's deconstructing himself and renewing himself by the end of the album. It's the way I took it and what he told me personally on the phone and all of that it makes more sense so i don't know how much info he wants to divulge but uh right, right. 
but yeah i mean it the whole album is more or less like his life story is what i get out of it and it's uh a pretty succinct ending like especially the last song on the album it's about being reborn and then he has told me that there's a, a new project coming out and he's working on it anyway it's going to be more rock industrial like more of a music structure and less of the spoken word element right so well, i mean the... we we are going to be playing a track from this coming album and um the track we're going to be playing is called compulsive death rituals but uh and so people are going to be able to obviously get a taste of what this album has to offer and and i actually really really dig the 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 musical back to this track and and actually the, the track that i'm going to be playing is is mostly musical in nature but um so when he first came to you and maybe this is just a larger conversation about how slaughterhouse records accepts new artists to promote or or to release i guess but do you do you think it's important uh to connect with the music that you're releasing uh to even just just to like the music they're releasing or um was it something where you know when tear instinct came to you and said hey I would like you to to release this new album and you'd already been exposed to some of his music and, and you were really excited about it you know if you hadn't been exposed to it would you be able to still back it fully i would because mostly i don't really put out anything that i don't like obviously it's like a director making a movie he wants to see that kind of thing or a musician making an album they would like to hear so mostly it's for them first mm -hmm. So like with this band Laboratory from Malaysia, I just thought it was great old school metal. It didn't mess around with being all technical and like trying to impress people the way new metal does these days. Yeah. yeah. So by the same token, it was like tear instinct. I mean, obviously, yeah, it was a big deal. So I knew I'd sell a lot of them. So that was a part of it. But really, it was like a big name and it was just some dark music that I wanted to put out. And obviously, I have my own project, Scapegoat, and I don't want to just release my own stuff all the time because then people are like, well, who cares? And just put out his own crap, you know? Yeah. So it was a good chance to put out something really radically different because spoken word over some industrial music, and plus he's a satanic warlock, so you have all these selling points, but at the same time, it's something that I agree with, I believe in. And I was helping him out because he asked me to do it. You know, it's, it's kind of on par with... Uh, like a big death metal band coming to me and saying hey you know we can't get anyone to be interested in this album or we want you to do it that's like a pretty good honor that someone would actually pick you over all these other labels out there that these days people can just do it themselves really but it's about marketing too and just someone else's perspective of like the artwork yeah and that's kind of what happened with the artwork is he had the artwork done and it's really great artwork by a guy named julian bones from russia and uh, all I did was like stretch it out to like a five by seven format and kind of I kind of came up with the inside of like that layout, but mm -hmm. turned out really nice. And like the hand numbering thing, I mean, the whole project was great. And I think it was a good fitting uh, epitaph for the Tear Instinct project. Yeah. Well, let me ask you about that, because I mean, this isn't like a CD jeweled case. I mean, this is presented more in in a like a DVD format. As far as the packaging. Yeah, it's like a digipack, but a DVD sized. And uh, so, is there? I, don't know. I mean, is there a reason for that rather than going just traditional? I don't know, like a sleeve or something like that. Well, yeah, I figure he's got some material to put in there, and uh, like a little sleeve. You know, I did that for that previous band I did because that was their first outing. It was only a few songs, 
and it made sense to do it that way. But for something as grandiose as this, because it was it's tear instinct, and he's a big name in the satanic world for sure, and he's a warlock in the satanic world making this music. It's really personal. So I thought if that's his last album, we should really do more than just like a standard jewel case, you know, yeah. which is a plastic case. And he sent me the artwork for that, like on a jewel case format. And I thought, nah. And also, um, I figured in this day and age with downloading and just people like so many bands out there and so much music, like people just had to be really tempted to buy something. So you've got to make the packaging nice. Absolutely. Collectible. So I did that and I did came up with the idea of 666 copies, hand numbering them with a silver pen. And, so far, so good. It's worked out. It looks really nice. I think people are enjoying the, the music and the layout, and he certainly liked it. I'm glad he was so patient as he was because it took forever to get them done. <laughs> so was it just the, the printer that was taking so long, or, or how, how did that, you know, what was the, the, the cause there? Um, at first, it was that was mostly what it was it was like they could not wrap their heads around the concept that i want i'm like okay five by seven you know what that measurement means yeah okay well now i want a cd booklet that is that size can you do that like so you mean you want just a cd book but in like this big package i'm like no so i had to re-explain this and they just could not grasp it and they were like looking for all these people to do it and it turns out they offer it on their website i'm like okay right here. <laughs> Pack. And they're like, oh, that's what you meant? I'm like, yes. And they brought down examples of what I meant. And they're like, they would, like, one time they forgot about it, another time they lost it. Oh, my gosh. It was just, it seemed like it was almost cursed in a way. And then, like, when I would go down to check on it, because it's right downtown in Salt Lake, uh, there was, when we had that huge, this ridiculous four day long winter storm that was just buried us in snow. Yeah. That was around the time it was in December. And it's like, I couldn't even make it down there. And, you know, it was just all this stuff happening. And then when I finally got it right, for some reason, it took forever to get it done. I'm like, is it done yet? Is it done yet? And then he actually emailed me like, hey, when are we planning on releasing that? And I'm like, <laughs> nice about it. And I was like, oh, shit. So I'm like, where's that CD? I got it done. It was so nice. I was like, it's worth the wait. And he was totally patient. So again, I have to say he's not a rock star at all. He's totally patient through the whole thing. And Yeah. Well, that's great. Little stupid things that just kept coming up i was like are you kidding me <laughs> well I, I think visually I, I think it's absolutely beautiful the, the packaging i think is original and it does add an extra element to it so you know you do feel like there was care and consideration taking taken in, in putting this together which which i think is important I, I know a lot of people are just like well well it's just about the music the digital side of it but you know i'm a designer and so i, I appreciate you know the packaging side of it as well um, and certainly the process that you went through to just get it released <laughs> at all seems to have been a really well, it's, it's worth it. And then uh, the thing I did, too, is I like the stark white, like this goat skull thing that you see on the inside. I thought it was a, such a bizarre design. It's actually just a small part of the back cover. But I kind of extrapolated on that on the inside. And uh and I want to thank Julian also, the artist, for actually sending me a bigger copy of that so I could use it. But I thought like red lettering over black and white, just like stark imagery. And like, and I heard Anton LaVey say a long time ago that white was the color of death. I can't remember where that was or what book that was in. 
but I never forgot that. And I thought that's so apt for this album because he's putting it to rest, this project, this facet of his life that I made the disc white with that skull thing on it. And there's like the stark white inside with like the red lettering. And I thought it was kind of fitting. And to me, that's important. I, I totally feast on the art on an album. I hate it when they just slap like a cover on it and the inside has how to treat your compact disc, wipe it with a cloth. And <laughs> yeah. You get nothing. And metal metal releases have been that way for years. And uh, when they take the care to make, make odd packaging or just nice packaging and put artwork in it. And that's why I miss vinyl records too, because you like how many hours did you spend <clears throat> staring at Iron Maiden album covers, just finding all the little things in the paintings and stuff, you know? Seriously. Yeah. It is an absolute travesty that this is not something that's still pursued today. In my opinion, I, I loved looking at album covers. Um, and, and it was that it was the process of it wasn't just the music and you're not just listening to it for the newest hippest uh, track or whatever you you actually were devouring an album so you were experiencing what could be you know up to an hour of planned out methodical music that was you know a, a process that you were supposed to go through and that I thought was amazing um, and I think it's amazing that you are continuing that tradition in the way you are and that you're actually caring about the packaging. I think that that speaks volumes about what Slaughterhouse Records is and uh, how, you know, it, it's just one of the facets that's going to prove that you're going to be successful in the coming years, you know. Well, thank you very much. I hope you're right. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's hard. You hear all these horror stories about downloading in the music industry. I don't really think it's true. Uh up to a point like early in the show i mentioned only people who really download or like do itunes and all that or like bieber kids and all that stuff but you know i don't care about like uh i couldn't even name like a contemporary artist uh hooting the blowfish am i dating myself <laughs> their new single but and that's just downloading stuff and only getting like the album to get that song or whatever but metalheads and industrial ambient people always will spend like $30 on a vinyl LP. And I spent $200 on a tape on eBay. Damn. Nobody wanted. It was like this old 1984 thing by Throbbing Gristle. And I was like, I need this. The complete collection. <laughs> you know, but it was, I don't think a second, I don't bat an eyelash on it. I know a few other people who are like that. Uh, a lot of them, the Satanists who pre-ordered this thing with me like long ago, you know, and like months ago before it ever even got started being made. Oh, wow. Well, that's great. Um, let's go ahead and hear a track, uh, the Compulsive Death Rituals, and then uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see if we can get a hold of uh, Tear Instinct on the other end. All right.
compulsive death rituals under obsidian clouds of death they lament the conditions of mortality tragedy pulls at the fabric of sanity and yields confession to the unsure new life new birth robbed death of its terror and of its wretched sting it positions the old monster where best suited as part of the grander scheme of things all things die all things die curses fall like starved armies and instinct directs their essence into the attention of new life nature and the cosmic hypnotism of survival death does not stop the hunts each of us for time ego directs drive and aches for experience it must be fulfilled it must be fulfilled All right, and that was Compulsive Death Rituals. That was a track from Tear Instinct's brand new album, Volume 3, Rest in Peace, uh, released through Slaughterhouse Records. And we're being joined online with Warlock Tear Instinct. How are you, man? Man, I'm fucking great. I couldn't be any better if I had two dicks. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's pretty damn good. You two dicks on the air with you? What are you saying about me? <laughs> Yeah, we're right no, here. for real. I'm I'm doing excellent, man. I'm in, I'm enjoying the release of my new album, and uh, we're going to touch on a couple of things. Um, uh, something that Jr. doesn't know about is before I reached out to him to release the album on his label, I actually spoke to you, Adam, uh, back in the summer of last year yeah. about some of my intentions, and uh, they were kind of out of focus, and uh, you helped me to put those glasses on. And I'm thinking that the album came out just perfect because it, it has a certain balance to it. I don't know if you've heard it yet, Adam, but the album, everybody has given me the feedback, and I think I nailed it. That's awesome. Yeah, I haven't actually devoured the entire album as of yet. I did really love the the, the back, that, that sort of music, that Compulsive Death Rituals, that, that track we just played had to it. Uh, it was very emotional and very powerful. I, I really enjoyed that. What was this, and and because you know obviously the audience isn't really into what we discussed. Um, do you want to give maybe a a creative, conceptive, um, a brief about what this album was like for you to record? What inspired it? Well, it was absolutely hell to be honest with you. Um, 
it was probably taking place in the absolute worst time of my life. Um, I've only told a few people, and Adam, if it's okay with you, I'll probably, uh, I guess the best way to say it is uh, drop a bomb, I guess, on your show. Um, as many people know, I was in a relationship with Lady Loki, and uh, she did the artwork for the Chaos Magnet, and she was also on the first album and, and through this devour. And we went through a big breakup and it hurt me emotionally because as a Satanist, I devoted everything to her and to her family. And she decided one day to come in and to tell me that it was all over with, that she no longer wanted to be in a relationship with me. And so everything that I had worked for over a course of probably about a decade was taken away from me. So I poured everything into this album. And as much as that emotion is put into this album at the same time, I was taking away from it. So what you're going to hear on this album is an outcry of my malevolence and malevolence. I guess is the best way to say it. Uh, what do you think, Jr.? Am I am I getting it? Am I getting that right? I'm thinking I'm touching on it just right because there's a level, there's a certain balance there, and my audience, my fans, my Vasca agents, they know what to expect from this album, and at the same time, I have to still lead a, a certain degree of mystery because it is still there. I managed to leave something other than the exact emotion of this breakup that I went through, which absolutely broke my heart. I am a romantic. Um, I, I tend to, well, I tend to, you know, pour everything into something. If I'm going to do it, if I can't do it a hundred percent, what's the point? You know? And to have that taken away from me overnight, I pretty much poured that emotion into this album, and then I zero degreed it to a certain extent that I think even shook the vampire to me. I think you got it pretty much. Uh, that's the explanation I would have given. That's sort of the explanation I gave earlier on in the show. I didn't know how much you wanted to put out there because I know he spoke on the phone about it, but knowing what I knew and what you just told me about what happened in your life, and I kind of changed lately but i was a hopeless romantic to put everything into a woman when i had one and uh when they do this kind of thing or when anybody leaves somebody it always just crushes you and devastates you and you can see that on the album and the way you lay to your instinct to rest especially with the track audience which obviously if now that we all know what's going on that's i think what you're getting at with the track audience which is my favorite one on the album it's the ultimate uh song on there and then after that malevolent outpour of negative energy on there we have the the last song which talks about being reborn which i think was perfect and, and then that brings us to your new project that would be the devil's trapezoid right that's what i'm working on right now uh the so, devil's trapezoid <laughs> is going to consist of an actual uh musical effort on my part with some other members that i've actually uh already started um, recently I joined up on Facebook. I, uh, something that I said that I would never do. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and I, I joined up on Facebook and I'm actually enjoying it. Um, 
I'm enjoying the actual game, War Commander. You know, that's a lot of fun. Um, but something that I'm really putting forward to is this Devil's Trapezoid that I put together, which is the new project, which is the actual mus musical side of Tear Instinct. And this is something that um, everybody that knows me, um, you know, I, I have the loops from the previous albums. And uh, um, there's a serious side to the Tear Instinct project. And with the Devil's Trapezoid. What you're going to hear is Tear Instinct and the Devil's Trapezoid. Adam, I'm going to give it away on your show. And okay. uh, I, actually, I think it's, you know, probably necessary. You know, this is necessary. So let's do it on your show. Um, I'm going to release it. Um, I'm putting together a band. It's going to be Tear Instinct and the Devil's Trapezoid. So what you're actually going to hear here is an industrial side that you guys can't expect from my other works, uh, Into the Devourer, The Chaos Magnet, Volume 3, Rest in Peace. It's done. It's everywhere. So what you're actually going to hear now is something that I want to be able to come into your house and take your mother to bed, make you go to bed, and I'm going to do the unheard of with your mother while you are told to go to sleep. Well, <laughs> I don't think you've ever met my mom, because I don't think you would <laughs> No, that's, that's, that's great. I, here's what I love about, um, well, by and large, I'm going to make broad sweeping general terms here. I love, uh, this about satanic artists in, in that it is never a one size fits all situation. It is never, I am sticking this sort of one little line with what I'm comfortable with. Uh, we seem to always reach out and, and push ourselves, the bounds of our talent, the bounds of our ability, and we realize that we are actually better than we thought we were by testing ourselves. And so when you run across artists uh, like yourself, Tear Instinct, which you, you've had this um, successful album releases uh, prior to this new project you're setting out, and you know that you could continue doing something like this and still continue to sell albums and, and, and do whatever, but you're deciding to to close a chapter and to reopen a brand new one and push yourself in a new direction. Um, I think it's incredibly important for people to do stuff like this, um, push themselves and grow because of it. Um, but it also speaks volumes about you as an artist and being able to do that, um, you know, take those risks and then still be successful through them. So that's great. Well, I have to thank you for that because that is a compliment on my end. That's something that I was actually looking forward to because a very good friend of mine, uh, uh, he goes by the name of Slask, and he fronts the band Sir Mother 3, mm -hmm. Cult 45, if you will. And uh, he, he constantly comes up with new projects, new sounds, and he blows me away. And I know you know who I'm talking about, Adam, yeah. and I know JR does as well. Um, he's a very good friend of mine, but he's always pushing around those boundaries those very boundaries and something that I said to myself was how long can you keep this up you know and I said fuck it let it die let's kill Tear Instinct but what the audience doesn't know Adam is the conversation that you and I had last summer where I revealed to you my agenda and if you if you pay attention to the track audience it pretty much goes back to that very conversation that you and I had. And I'm pleased at the way that it came out because 
at that time when you and I had that conversation, I was uh, kind of drinking heavily and probably not in the right mindset to release that track at that time. And since then, and since talking with JR and uh, releasing this album, I, I think everything has done its, done its course, if you will. And yeah. uh, I'm pleased with it. And uh, JR sent me uh, a package. And uh, included in that package was the 666 copy of my album. And I will be presenting that to Magus Gilmore. Hell yeah. Nice. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, and, and actually that's something to be noted here because uh, for I don't know how much longer there are a, a special edition packages of 665 now numbered uh, copies. I mean, I, I don't know how many um, have been uh, already released, but if you wanted to get a hand-numbered version of this, you need to act now. You need to get your, uh, took us over to slaughterhouserecords.bigcartel.com and pick up this new album, uh, and you will get one of those, uh, special editions. Now, is this album going to be available past that number of 666? You never know. I don't know. With, with something so epic in scale and like the lyrical content and what it means to the artist, what it means to cheer, you almost want to put it the rest after 666 copies, but if, you know, if it seems to be, in super high demand after this initial batch sells out, then uh, why not? Maybe release like another couple hundred, like a different format, you know, or maybe reverse the colors or something, or just make it a little bit different again. Yeah. yeah. So you're open to it. Close to it. Nice. Well, um, again, solderhouse.bigcartel.com is going to be uh, where you're going to want to go to pick this album up. Um, Tier Instinct, what do you think about uh, your first time working with Slaughterhouse Records? How has the process been for you? Well, Adam, I, I honestly got to tell you, um, everything that JR has told me, he, he's come off with. And when I started with this project, I started with Infidus Devour. And I, I took that concept to a certain warlock with uh, a concept album that was being released at that time. Something that I myself, as a, uh, I'm not going to say young saints because I've been into uh, the dark arts left hand path since I was uh, probably nine years old, probably even going back to seven years old. And uh, I, I reached out to a certain warlock who was releasing an album at that time. And it was a tribute album uh, to the Black House. And I'm thinking that your listeners might be able to kind of read between the lines there yeah, yeah. and uh <laughs> there was a falling out between the uh the owners of that label because into this devour was supposed to be released on that label and it didn't happen because of the falling out that they had and it pissed me off because i had to release into this devour on lulu.com and this meant that the person that wanted to acquire my first album could go put their order in and then Lulu would make the album on demand and then ship it right out. Now I made a lot of money on the first album and I'm not complaining about that, but there was no recognition on the part of per se, how many albums were sold, um, how it reflected back on me as the exact um, kind of perfection that I was looking for as to what I wanted to release because I, I, I spent a lot of energy. I ritualized and 
put a lot of effort into writing these tracks. I'm not going to call them songs. This is something that I've talked about on previous interviews with War, on Hardest Darkest Dance, uh, when I was uh, interviewed on FM Radio on 93.3 of Planet. Regardless, uh, as a Satanist, it means a lot when you pour so much energy into a taking that means something to you. I don't even care about making money on it. This is something that I talked to JR um, about. I'm not, I don't care about making money on this. My, my view is to get it, get it out there. Let these people experience the key that is the third album in the Tyrion Sting Project. And when you listen to this final album, it pulls them both together. And as a benefit and as an added bonus to myself, JR decided to release Into This Devour. Now, when you guys order this final album, Rest in Peace Volume 3, you're going to get as a bonus, if you're lucky, if you're in that top 100, you're going to get as a bonus a copy of Into This Devour. Wow. And to me, when JR did this, it just blew me away because he did it out pretty much out of the kindness of his heart. Now, I don't know if you've heard Scapegoat, what he does as a musician on himself on the, oh, on, yeah. on the side, but it's absolutely fucking brilliant out. Um, the keys to the first and last is me and JR have been talking for years now. And uh, all I can say is bravo, my friend. You did a hell of a job in releasing my album. And I will be coming back to you for Tear Instinct and The Devil's Travels Week. Very cool. Thank you very much, sir. I'm glad you like it. I'm glad you were so patient through that hellish wait for basically <laughs> there. Well, I couldn't ask for anything better. Um, the artist that did the artwork, uh, Mr. J.D. Bones, is absolutely brilliant. And you ran with it. You, you took that concept. You made the buttons, which absolutely surprised me. I had no idea. To all aspiring audience, uh, artists out there, you guys come to JR, talk to him, listen to his scapegoat, because it will be in your best effort. Um, as a Satanist, I couldn't ask for anything better as far as relation-wise goes in the organization. Um, I guess, I, you know, that pretty much sums it up, Adam. You know, right. you've, you've had your dealings with other Satanists on your show, um, probably in, in your other undertaking. And honestly, Adam, I've had a few negative experiences, but I can honestly tell you this one is A plus positive. JR is the man when it comes to Slaughterhouse Records. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, he's a stand up guy, and I, I've actually reached out to him on a number of uh, private projects as well. So I certainly would back him as well in anything. <clears throat> well, fellas. <laughs> yeah, a little polishing of uh, JR there. <laughs> uh, no, but realistically, everyone get out there. If you act fast, I don't know if there's any still available, but you can also get a copy of his very first album shipped with this last newest album, uh, Volume 3, Rest in Peace. Um, it's really not expensive. Um with the production quality of this, I would have probably charged more personally, but you guys credit to you. You, you kept it reasonable. And, uh, you know what? As, uh, someone purchasing it, you're going to get a hell of a value out of your money. And that nowadays I think is, is pretty damn important. Thank you both very much for joining me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for coming on the show and talking about the project. Adam, my you, pleasure. Sir. 
you for having me on the show, man. Um, I'm a big fan of, of Nine Cents, and I'm a big fan of yours. And I also, just, just before we go, I want to invite your listeners to come up and check out the 25th anniversary show of Vasco Radio because Prometheus and I are very proud of the fact that we've been able to put out a monthly episode of Vasco Radio and the concept of the Vasco has grown beyond what we even started. It's a juggernaut and uh, maybe your audience can pick up on that. And we might pick up a couple more listeners. Yeah. Well, I, we I know there is some some crossover with listeners. I, I've, I've received uh, right communication. It's right here on Radio Appreciate. Mm-hmm. Adam, man, we, for me, this and I, we send our best to you, to your family, to your lovely wife, and uh, we wish you all the best, JR. From Tear Instinct, from me, Glenn Barnes, thank you very much for everything that you've done. The album is great, it's stunning. Uh, and to all my fans and supporters, Hail Satan. Hail Satan, man. Hail Satan. All right. We are actually going to be running a bit of a promo. So, because Tear Instinct and J.R. Trina are such good fellows, they're going to put out a little contest. That's right. Where was Tear Instinct during the first half of the interview? Be as creative as you want, but send your answers to info at 9centspodcast.com. The most creative will get a free copy. That's right, a free copy of this album. So, where do you think Warlock Tear Instinct was during the first half of our interview? Send your inf- send your correspondence, send your answer, or your entry, I guess, to info at 9centspodcast.com, and Slaughterhouse Records will give the most creative one or two of you a copy of the album gratis. And that is going to do it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the Satanet Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube, so look for us there. You can subscribe to 9 Cents via iTunes by searching 9 Cents, and don't forget to leave a rating and or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com, and if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit radiofreesatan.com, the source for online satanic media. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, hail Satan. <laughs>